Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, TotalTutor.net, for more information. Twitter, TotalTutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google+, Plus, and also on Periscope, at TotalTutor. And I have an amazing celebrity guest. I'm so excited to welcome to the program. I'm a huge fan of The Hangover, but also Dr. Ken. So I'm excited to welcome program actor Ken Jong. Ken, thanks for calling, man, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Neil. Oh, I talk about your journey, uh, Dr. Ken, and I have to bring up the whole Dr. Ken thing because a lot of people don't understand that background of doing this television show that you're really a doctor. Kind of explain that story really quick. Yeah, the show is loosely based on my life. I worked at an HMO as a doctor, as a general practitioner for seven years, and uh, yeah, married father of two, and uh, it, it, everything is loosely based on on my life in terms of the setup that 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 is definitely similar but in terms of like my character and everything else that's more based on you know my comic persona than, <laughs> yes. than my real life yeah so it's a, it's, a, it's a blend of both so how can a doctor become this comedian Tell that story really quickly, because I, I, I know our audience is really interested. Because again, you, we see a different side of Ken Jong in on the show, and, I, and my wife and I watch it on Friday nights all the time. Uh, and uh, we, we see a different side of you in, in specific ways. So, how did it come out that as a doctor you decide, okay, I'm going to be a comedian? I even before I was a doctor, I I dreamed of uh, doing comedy and acting. I, I and when I was in college, I, I took like an acting class, and and so I, I definitely had that pipe dream. Didn't know if that could, I, I didn't know if it, if it could work. But um, I started when I was in med school. I just felt the need to perform, and I did stand up comedy on the side, basically as a hobby. I didn't have I didn't have any other hobbies. Didn't play golf. Didn't have anything else to keep me occupied outside of work. So I just. Basically, just kept doing stand-up, and and that's what that's how it evolved. So for me, I just kind of kept it up as a hobby. And by the time I started practicing in LA, um, I auditioned for Knocked Up, which was looking for an actor with medical experience. And uh, lo and behold, I you know got really lucky and got that part, and uh, where I played a doctor, and that led to um, that led to The Hangover, and and ultimately my own show. Now, Dr. Ken, I mean, the whole thing about your character in The Hangover compared to Dr. Ken, two different animals. You do show some of your uh, uh, t funny tendencies at, at times, especially as a comedian on Dr. Ken. But tell me, was that a hard part to play uh, in The Hangover? Did it, was that difficult to kind of, kind of put yourself in that character? W were you doing that type of comedy on uh, on stage all the time, at, at different things, or was this really kind of getting out of your comfort zone? Um, that's a great question, man. I, I think that in many ways it was easier because I think when you play a character so big like that, you can, you can really, you can kind of hide behind it because you don't really, you're not really showing not really showing true aspects of your personality, but just heightened aspects of your personality. So really, probably the only thing hard was the nudity after a while. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, think, I think really, uh, but, but playing a character like Mr. Chow or Senior Chang in community for that matter, yeah. it's very freeing because, because you know, and everybody around me knows that I'm not that character, so it's just fun to play, you know? So... It's kind of like cowboys and Indians, you know, like just playing that as a kid. Uh, just it, 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 you just embrace the fun of it. So, in many ways, that's easy. Um, but but uh, by the same by the same token, Doctor Ken is is, is is relatable and easier to play because yeah. 
you know, my character is so grounded. I have a job. I have a family. Yeah. You know, I have responsibilities. And it's nice to play a character where they're just not so psychotic, you know. <laughs> so, it, so it, 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 you know, it's just, it, it's nice to play. So I think the timing of the show came out just at the right time in my career. Especially so you don't get typecasts, for sure. And now with this show and, and being able to show your well-roundedness and that, that you can do comedy but also be very intelligent, it's a perfect type of show. And I love the fact that, you know, bringing healthcare to the field and certain topics and issues and even teaching a lesson, Dr. Ken, that's what the show's about in certain ways. There are definite moral lessons. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a show every Friday night <clears throat> um, at 8.30 you know, Eastern time on ABC. And so, you know, I'm a big fan of the, of the sitcom genre. So to me, it was a, you know, it's a completely different tone than, than the hard R movies, you know, that I'm known for. So, and, and that was by design, you know, because this is something where my family can watch and, and my wife and kids, they come to set all the time. So it's, it's really nice to share this particular project with my own family and, and you're right, in terms of medicine, it's it's great. I mean, this uh this week's episode is Doctor Oz. He like Doctor Ken meets Doctor Oz. Oh wow. If they at, at an airport just irritates the hell out of them and Doctor Oz uh now uh, hates Doctor Ken and they get in a big fight. So it it and it was really it was really cool, um, playing with him. So it's hey, great sport, and he was really funny. When you were working on the set with him, real quick, when you were working on the set with them, did he know your whole background right into the bat that you were you're a doctor as well at first when they were, he was asked yeah. to do it? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yes, I've been on his, I had been on his show before, so he knew, but he knew about me, and um, and yeah, and uh, so and it was because I'd been on on his show, and we got along so well. I asked him to be on my show, so it was it was really nice of him. One in thirty seconds. Can you do me an impersonation of Mr. Chow PG, a PG Mr. Chow impersonation? Okay. Um, hey Neil, you want to see a, a Pixar movie? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That was know. great. That was great, Doctor Ken. Thanks again. Best place to find information on you. Yeah. We can go to uh, where can we follow you and stuff, Doctor Ken. And then again, eight thirty tonight, ABC, uh, Doctor Ken. But best place we can find info on you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Ken Jung, J-E-O-N-G, and Instagram and, and Facebook, my name. You're awesome, man. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun, so take care. Neil, thanks for the Dr. Ken love. Really, really appreciate it, man, and have a great weekend. Yes, you too. Take care. All right, all right. that was Dr. Ken. Take care, guys. We'll be live again soon, very soon. Hi, everyone, and welcome the Total Celebrity Show. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, Tolzer.net, for more information. Twitter, Tolzer, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Tolzer, Pitcher, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, and also on Periscope, at Total Tutor. And I'm waiting on for our guests to get on the line, and our producer says we do have on the line. So from NBC's The Blacklist, Amir Arison. Amir, thanks for calling, and how are you? Is this Neil? Yes, Amir, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Uh, good to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, can you tell me why The Black Kiss is, List is such a popular show, even before you became a cast member? What do you think the reason is? You know, wow. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't think there's uh, – you know, whenever you're doing a, a piece of – I know it's television, so I'm reticent to call it art, but um, a story or a piece of art, uh, what hits and what doesn't hit, I think is kind of a, a mystery. I think if everybody knew that, everything would be a hit. But uh, I, I think it's something about the zeitgeist and the timing of it, but uh, specifically what the producers uh, put together is this hybrid of serialized format, which has been proven to work, uh, uh, procedural format, which has been proven to work, mixed with an incredibly compelling serialized storyline. So there's um, something for everyone, and there's a lot to t come back and tune in for each week. And at the center of it is, you know, a national treasure, uh, James Spader, um, sort of one of our master yeah. actors. So they built a perfect show uh, and, and around a perfect role for a perfect actor uh, to fill it. So 
you know, I think that that I would I want to tune in to see what he's up to, and then to of course learn the secrets. And each week, each at the end of each episode is a page turner, page turner, and you can't wait to tune in the next week. Uh, you know, and they do that brilliantly. So. You know, I think that, and then you know, along the way, they can, you know, they they they've cast the supporting cast and all the guest stars uh, really, really well. Everybody suits their role, and uh, and they keep the writing, uh, I think, fresh. So I don't know. That, 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 that's <laughs> well, my you're, you're, best you're, you're, guess. You're, you're, that was a great explanation, Amir. So once you you what came on to the cast, once you got uh, the call, did you know, did you were you watching the blacklist before that? Before when she joined the team. No, when I, I was so season one, my first episode was episode three, and the show hadn't come out yet, so I, I didn't even know what I was auditioning for. There wasn't even even a trailer online, so I was like, you know, it was like a uh, shooting a dart in the dark. I, I didn't. I was just. I went for it, and the and the role at the time, the Aram role was uh, was pretty was pretty small, and mm-hmm. certainly didn't carry you know significance with the plot. It was more ancillary. And so I just went and had fun with it. I didn't even know if I wanted to do it. I was like a cop show, a computer guy, like whatever. <laughs> but I was in New York. I was a casting director. I was like, you know, you never know. Go in, have a good time. And I just had as much fun as I could with it and said, you know, they could probably hire, you know, any competent actor to uh, to play, uh, you know, you know, a smart computer guy, uh, you know, on the side. So what can I do to make this special or, or, or enjoy it? And I just, you know, had as much fun with it, threw in a lot of my own personal humor and, and, uh, and you know, timing, luck, good fortune. Uh, we had the right director who then became a producer of that episode who, who uh, liked what I brought, and, uh, and so did the producers and everybody else. And then they kept uh, sort of um, keeping, me, keeping me around. I'll say it was, it was really unique. It wasn't like a usual, like, you audition. Right. And get a part, try to try to play the part right. It was like I went in and had fun because I was in New York right. and mine as well. And then the show started doing well, and then they started bringing back and sort of shaped the role uh, uh, to my strength. So it's the first time I ever felt like I helped kind of create a role. Uh, the role wasn't originally um, conceived to be as 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 big and uh, as it became, or as much a part of the team as it became. So it's really, really, really like. Um, Hitting sort of the actor series lottery, and uh, I, I count my ble- my blessings every day. Right, and I've talked to lots of working actors that say usually they get on one show for one part, a small part, and then it disappears. So for you to be called back, what a what a blessing and opportunity you have, because and then for the role to continue to grow throughout, and the show continues to grow, awesome and amazing. So how's your life changed once you got on the blacklist and got more and more of a, a role? Show like, tell us the differences of before um, and now. Well, uh, there's both the inside of the show and outside of the show. Uh, inside inside of the show, uh, what's what, what's wonderful about sort of you know having been there now for like 50 episodes is you know I can call a producer and say hey uh, you know what about this or don't don't forget this or or even when we're on set you know if there's like a moment we shot it I was like you know what I think I can. I think I can. I, can, I think I, I think there's an appropriate moment for a joke here. Let's not forget this. I was like, oh, we have that take. Let me do an alternate take to to add this. And sort of having the license to do that uh, now because I'm a part of the team and I'm trusted and I'm sort of one of the uh, um, primary uh, you know artists on the show now. That that's that's so special. Uh, it's so rare on network TV that I can be like, hey, I'm going to improv a joke. And everyone's like, great, Amir, great. And I know how to do it so they can cut it or not cut it, or use it or not use it. So it doesn't doesn't uh, get in the way of the machine and the storytelling. It only enhances. Uh, that's sort of the inside of the show bonus, which is, you know, and, and not to mention having you know, being on a show now for three years, you get you get to know the short. I know, I know, I know what Megan needs, how James likes to work. Uh, I know Diego's right. habits and Mojan. So we can sort of like, it, it only gets better. It's not like just figuring out how everybody's working and then trying to do a good job and not step on anyone's toes or mess up. No, we're so past that, and we're all trying to do a great job, and we know what the other person needs. So that's the huge bonus of being a part of something and having done something now, you know, middle of third season. And then outside of the show, uh, the best part is that, like, my friends and family in Florida and L.A. and all over the country and around the world uh, get to watch. Uh, so, you know, I used to do a lot of theater, and I would do a play and work my butt off, and, you know, you know only the, you know, the people that came to that play in New York saw it. Now I do some scenes and millions and millions of people see it. So that's that's special and 
And uh, I'm still getting used to people wanting to, like, take a selfie on the subway or at the movie theater. <laughs> so that's the, that's the way it's changed on the outside. Um, yeah, that, yeah, it's there are both, right, both well, bonuses. That's awesome. Now tell us about your character again, because, okay, my, my, I'm going to be honest, I'm a huge Heroes fan. So I'm going to be watching on Thursday night, as especially with the last couple episodes. I've always been hooked by that because it keeps me, uh, you know, on my toes. But I have not my uh, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and my and my mother-in-law say you got to watch the Blacklist. So I have not seen the show. <laughs> but tell us about your character for our listeners out there. I've seen the show, but have not really caught up in a couple seasons because I've talked to people once I heard I was interviewing you, asking them questions. Um, well, yeah. first, I would say I would say you can catch up on Netflix, season one or on two Netflix. You have your new binge show. You've got some homework to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> season three, we're you know we're we're not quite at the midpoint. Uh, we've done uh, we've had eight episodes so far, and we have fourteen more. It's a twenty-two episode season. I think people uh, may not realize how much more story we have left to tell this season alone. Um, and this one is the return from uh, uh, Thursday night is the return from from the winter hiatus with sort of a huge sort of like uh, apex episode when everything kind of uh, comes to a head. Uh, this season, Liz, uh, our main character, um, uh, has been on the run from the law because uh, she's been uh, framed for some events as well as she participated in the murder of uh, the attorney general who was dirty. And so uh, how she's going to come clean from that is a question on all of our minds. And uh, she's been brought in. Uh, she worked for a task force that I am a member of, uh, an FBI secret task force that liaisons with Red Reddington, James Spader's character, to bring in super-duper bad guys. Uh, and Red Reddington has an angle on that each week of his own, besides helping us catch uh, right. the super-bad guys. And, uh, and our angle is, of course, you know, ensure protection and safety and catch these bad guys that we don't even know exist. Uh, and I am the computer guy, uh, in short. I'm uh, the tactical and strategic technician. Uh, I'm sort of like uh, one of the main problem solvers at the post office and uh, uh, sort, of, uh, sort of central command when uh, the field agents go out into the field. And I'm tracking phone numbers and maps and locations and keeping everyone up to date in real time and doing his best. Uh, sort of like the – if you, if you haven't watched the show, I, I sort of function like the Chloe O'Brien uh, does on 24. I'm a little bit like That's that cool. on the blacklist. All right, best place yeah. we can find information on your mirror so we can catch up on you and stuff like that. Where can we go? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Amir Arison, uh, at Amir Arison. Um, I also recently started an Instagram uh, handle, uh, also at Amir Arison, A-M-I-R-A-R-I-S-O-N. Uh, but the best place to find me is this Thursday night on The Blacklist. It's a huge, huge episode and probably the most exciting uh, definitely the most challenging uh, episode uh, I've done on the on the run of the series, uh, airing this Thursday night. Well, you're fantastic. Thanks for taking the time. I enjoyed the conversation, and you're going to get me hooked on the blacklist. All my celebrity guests. Right on, right on, right on. Catch up. Listen to all your friends. You know, all right, I will tell all my friends, and we will promote this out in social media. So take care. All right, again, that was Amir Arison. What a great interview. Take care, guys. Another big one soon. Goodbye. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, Tolter.net, for more information. Twitter, Tolter, Neil S. Haley, Facebook. LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Tolter, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google+. Plus. And also on Periscope at Total Tutor. I need to Periscope the, the top celebrity interviews I've had to start out 2016. Today's my birthday. I had an unbelievable guest. I can't tell you who it is. And another awesome one I'm about to introduce. And they will all be on the website tomorrow. Check it out. So I'm excited to welcome the program from BH1's hit show, Mob Wives, star Brittany Fogarty. Brittany, thanks for calling. Me. How are you? Good. How are you? Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, uh, great birthday for sure to think about. Uh, I'm 43, but to be doing all these amazing things as an entrepreneur, it's just an absolute journey. And, Brittany, your life has been a journey as well, hasn't it? Especially where you started yes. out from and now where it's going. 
Yes, it has been an absolute journey. Um, you know, I just joined Mob Wives for season six, so I'm really excited about that. And, you know, I basically got pulled into the show because I have a pretty colorful background of where I've come from in my journey. And, you know, both my family, my parents came from life of crime and that was what they grew up in. And so it's been a, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> so that's that's where we can go. I mean, that's an interesting part of it, because, again, I have never watched the show, but I know lots of people who are fans of it. Again, if you knew my time and where, what I, my, my schedule every day. But I always tune. In, I always tune in off of uh, on demand. I go to on demand for every one of my shows. Yeah, time. My wife um, and I sit too. down on Saturdays and we watch it then. There's no time during the week. We got too much stuff going on to even consider eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, we just want to figure out how we can uh, survive. But tell us that life of crime. Uh, what did you deal with, and and to understand more and more about the show in general and your background. So my background is, you know, my mom was born and raised in Brooklyn, and my grandmother was this strong Italian woman, and she kind of bred the family to either, you know, the men in the family would either grow up and become these wise guys on the street and street guys, or the women would. And my grandmother used to hold illegal card games for all of, like, the wise guys on the streets and crazy Joe Gallo in her basement. So my mother grew up like seeing all of these men in her house, and this is what my grandmother raised them to idolize. And my father is Irish, and he comes from New York as well, and he was always on the streets. And when him and my mother got connected, she kind of pulled him closer into that Italian mafia lifestyle. And then, you know, it's everybody, like, portrays it to be this luxurious life, but it's not. It tears families apart. Every, you know, people go to prison. It ruins their lives. And my father ended up being in prison from when I was a baby. I was eight months old until I was 11 years old, and my family was relocated to Pennsylvania. So I grew up out here in Pennsylvania because of everything that had happened with my family. Oh, wow. So Yeah, it's a crazy So you, so you got out of that. It's crazy because we don't think about this. You know, when we think of the mob, we think of it in a different aspect. So what type, your family ran, what types of stuff? What was his more illegal gambling? Like, so, what was well, the my grandmother yeah. ran, uh, my grandmother ran illegal gambling in her house when, when she was, you know, taking care of her family. And then my mother used to loan shark money on the streets to wise guys. She was kind of like the bank for them. And then my father was involved in, you know, illegal drug activity and just organized crime involving the mafia. So when my parents actually got arrested, they came in, I don't if you've ever heard of Rico charges, they came in and arrested like 22 people all in one day, shut down the streets and just hit everybody with like all these crazy charges. And, you know, I look at it as like, I didn't, I grew up outside of that lifestyle, but knowing about it, like I don't idolize it. I look at it as like, you know, why would you want to why would you want to go out every day and commit crimes and like even risk being away from your family for that long like i think it destroys families i think it's a terrible thing you know so i came onto the show and i have a different mindset of everybody i have a different outlook on the whole lifestyle you know i like being involved in that destroyed my family yeah like being involved in that destroyed my family yeah exactly broke apart and yeah it did. It broke apart everything. I mean, I'm, I just turned 25 in December, and my dad was in prison until I was 11 years old. So it's like, uh, you know, the main years of bonding while you're a child, it's just gone. And it's hard to, like, come back from that. It's hard to have a normal father-daughter relationship. And it's something that we still work on and still struggle with. But I look at the lifestyle as not, like, a glamorous thing, not something that should be idolized, but it, it destroys family. Exactly, and 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 that's where you're a perfect position and play, putting yourself in a perfect place and position for this show because you uh, had gone through this and uh, you firsthand have said, you know what, other people idolize it. You know what happens when the shoe drops, and the shoe drops tr- tremendously for you. So you go to Pennsylvania. How do you get your life mm-hmm. in order? You're still you're very young at this point. How what age were you when you you moved to Pennsylvania? Um, I was about two years old when we moved to Pennsylvania, oh, so I was a small child. 
Yeah, so I grew up in Pennsylvania, you know, and it was just me, my mom, and my three brothers, and she was raising us four kids on her own, doing whatever she could to survive and put food in our mouths. You know, all she knew and all she was bred to do was to, you know, do illegal things and to be with these criminals. And so when they moved her and relocated her out here, my father was in prison. She had four kids to take care of, and she just utilized what she knew how to do. She's a good cook. She started cooking for families. She's a good cleaner. She started cleaning houses. She's good with kids. She started nannying. And my mom just hustled and bustled and, and gave us the best life that she could while my dad was away. Wow. I mean, and, yeah. and so you you were going from one lifestyle, you couldn't remember it, too, to your mom struggling. So she was working so much. So you had to learn independence at an early age, didn't you? Oh, absolutely, at an early age. And I'm really blessed that I have my three older brothers because, you know, I didn't have my dad there, but I still had so many male figures close to me in my life that it was, you know, I was used to not having him there, but I'm just so grateful that I had my brothers because, you know, as a young girl, you need your mom, but you also need an older male in your life to teach you things. Like my brothers taught me how to ride a bike, how to throw a punch, how to play sports. So, you know, I don't look at it as like I'm a victim of anything. I try to see the positive in all of the situations. And, you know, my father did what he did. He deserved consequences for those actions. I don't think he should have got off scot-free, but, you know, this is what happens in that life. But yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania and I just you know, I think differently about it all. I think it just affects families in a terrible way, and you know. But you have to make the best of any situation. You have to make the best of any situation. So you said you're you said you're blessed in the way of learning that you had your brothers. But independence-wise, how did your brothers and you not get into trouble, especially when your mom was working so much? You're getting a lot of education questions, Brittany, that you probably wouldn't get on other shows, but I go deep into the person's life for sure. <laughs> so independence-wise, I think that, you know, I have to I have to give credit to my mother. I think she raised all of us to just be independent, go out there, get what you want, work for what you want. And, you know, we weren't taught to to – self-pity or or to like wallow in what's going on you know suck it up get yourself together go out there and and just do what you have to do I mean as far as independence I think just growing up around strong people like my mother is such a strong woman all my mom is one of 10 kids I have 10 aunts and uncles my family it's just like everybody is strong everybody has strong personalities and growing up around that I think it just naturally teaches you to to be independent and Growing up without a father and not having him there and just dealing with that through my, like, growing up and through my teenage years, you know, when I feel like when you go through things in your life, it's like you can put things in perspective, like minor things that might totally upset somebody else in my set me because I've already been through worse, you know, and Uh I feel like you have to be grateful for the struggle because if you don't struggle, how do you know how strong you are? And I think that's where... I get my independences. I just look for it in what I've been through and, and what I need to do to be a better person and not fall down and not succumb to it. Gotcha. And how did you not turn to crime or your brothers or get into a lot of mischief with just mom? I mean, mom? my mom raised us opposite of how she was raised. School was always very important. I always did well in school, and it was always just drilled into us, like, you know, you're not going to be a criminal. You're not going to date criminals. You're going to go to school and you're going to get a real job and you're going to make your own money. My mom raised us opposite of that. And I grew up in an area where it's, you know, all my friends' parents are doctors or lawyers or nurses. So it was, it it's like crime out here is looked down upon. It's not something that's, that you would want to do here, you know? Interesting. So very interesting, uh, story, but you made it bigger for yourself career-wise before this big break coming January 13th to kind of really uh, mess up the apple cart in a lot of ways for what how, how to promote the mob, and I can't wait to talk a little bit about that, what you can tell me, but tell me specifically enough um, uh, your, your, your career, your career uh, entertainment-wise and things like that. How did it kind of evolve? Um, so it kind of evolved, you know, I started modeling probably when I was 19, 20 years old and I really kind of just, I kind of fell into it and then I just fell in love with it. And I, I really love runway. That's like my passion. I just love runway. And so, you know, I moved to LA for a little bit. I was doing a lot of modeling out there and then I came back 
to be closer with my family. And, you know, and then just being in the entertainment industry already, modeling and doing runway and everything like that, you know, Mob Wives approached me. And then I, you know, now I'm on season six of Mob Wives and I'm really excited for the new season. And, you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm 25, but I consider myself a little young entrepreneur as well. Um, me and my friend have a jewelry company. We make all handmade jewelry with crystals. And so that's something I'm passionate about. And I just, you know, I kind of like to just follow the path, see where it goes and take me where my heart leads me. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, uh, and I think that's, 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 that's definitely so important. So how did you get started modeling? Did, after you graduated from high school, did you go on to college? I did. I attended um, Temple University for a little bit. And then while I was at Temple, I was in my second year down in Philadelphia. I was, it kind of just happened with modeling. I was funny. I was sitting on my bed one night talking to my mom and we were watching a show on TV. And I was like, mom, it was fashion week at the time in New York. And I was like, I really want to go see one of these shows. I'm like, I just want to go sit and, and watch a runway show. So the following season, we went and we watched a runway show, and then I just met people there. Me and my mom made connections, and then the next season, I was walking in all of these shows, and then the next season, I was in L.A. walking in shows, and then I came home, and I was walking in Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week at Lincoln Center, and so it kind of just, like, step-by-step step happened, and I think with anything, it's it's like building connections with people. It's building relationships. It's keeping in touch with those people and networking yourself and building a network. Yeah, it's, it's, it definitely sounds like that, uh, for sure. And then that helps you, I guess, going into this filming and stuff, being a model, right? Because you have to kind of be very patient throughout that process, understand how the camera works, but seeing it in a different way for a reality show. Correct? I think it made it, yeah, I definitely think it made it uh, a little bit easier for me coming into a reality show, just because, you know, I was used to being in front of cameras all the time, and I was used to cameras being around and people snapping pictures and stuff like that and at runway shows I mean there's tons of people watching you and it's like all eyes on you so I think that coming into and starting the reality show it was like it, it wasn't it didn't make me feel uncomfortable to have cameras there because I was already used to having cameras around whereas that might not be as normal for somebody who's not used to you know having their pictures taken or being around you know the center of attention like that. So let's get to let's get into the characters. Let's get into the show. The premise of the mm -hmm. show, and I know you can't say everything that's going to happen to you in season six, but you at least can yeah. give me some idea of the characters before you. Did you ever watch Mob uh -huh. Wives before being asked to be in it? Um, I only watched the first season when it first came on TV. That that was it. Okay. So yeah. tell me specifically the, the whole premise of the show. The whole premise of the show? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Well, so, I mean, it's basically a reality show that is based on the lives of women whose families, husbands, or fathers are connected or were involved or doing time for organized crime and mafia-related charges. So it just shows the women's perspective and their lives and what they've been through or what they're still going through. Interesting. And some of the characters that have been on the show for some seasons for our listeners out there to, to, to let us know who else are you with on the show? Um, so this season it is myself, uh, Big Ange, who I know we all love. Drita yeah. is on. Um, Renee Graziano. Karen Gravano. Carla Facciola is on. She's back this season. And there is another new cast member. Marissa. Interesting. So some of them have been on for a few seasons and have the whole thing done, been there, done that, while others are new like you. So once the filming started, what did, did you have anything to anticipate when it came to doing a reality television show? Did you, because I've talked to so many reality television show people and saying what they film and then what ends up coming on television, two different things at times how you wanted to stick to your brand, yeah. make sure as an entrepreneur you didn't embarrass yourself, all that, yeah. You know, that's what I keep hearing. I'm still waiting. You know, it hasn't aired yet. I know everything that happened while we were filming, and we filmed for so long, and I'm really curious to see how it all comes together and how true to life it really is based on what actually happened. 
But, you know, I mean, I came into it with the outlook of it's, you're, it's people who have aggressive personalities, people who have tempers. It's, you know, and I came into it with the mindset of, I didn't want to, I'd only watched the first season and I didn't want to watch all of the seasons before I started filming and met the women because I didn't want to have like preconceived opinions about them, about stuff that happened on the show that had nothing to do with me. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to watch any episodes. I'm just going to go into this, meet them clean slate and just see what happens. I'm going to see who I like. I'm going to see who I don't like. And I'm just going to give everybody an opportunity. So that was kind of my mindset when I went into it, but it is a drama driven show. And, you know, they do tend to zone in on the drama, but you know, sometimes, sometimes you just got to get a little crazy. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, exactly. And I know that seeing different things and talking to you on the phone, just spotting a couple things. I Googled you and stuff I'm like, Oh, wow. But I have interesting – I've interviewed some very, very interesting people in my career celebrity-wise. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what to expect. That's what I love about interviewing people because you get to really get the full person today and know who you yeah, are, absolutely. your passions, everything. And so I see you as a person that, yes, just like your mom, you're, your mom's nice and sweet, but if somebody messes with her, look out. Because you have that oh, yeah, in order to survive that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just think that's with anything in life. I mean, I think you have to be nice. And this is how my mother raised me. You have to be nice to people, but you absolutely do not let people walk all over you. You can't take shit from people either. But that doesn't mean that you go around with a chip on your shoulder and and you're like, you know, nasty to people either. You have to be nice. And, and, you know, I'm nice to those who are nice to me. And if if you don't like the way I'm acting towards you, it's usually because you've done something to provoke me to act that way. I don't go around. I'm nice to everybody off the bat when I meet them, but I'm also not a doormat and I'm not, and I'm not afraid to speak my mind. I'm very opinionated and I'm not afraid to share my opinions. And that's just my personality. So, you know, if you don't like it, there's the door. <laughs> so, so what is your, what was your mom's thought about, again, this uh, of being on the show and all that stuff and the thought process of what you're going to be going through in the family, just of being filmed and all that stuff. Were they as gung-ho and excited as you are, or how's that working? No, no, not at all. You know, I was I was more excited about it than I think anybody else in my family was. I think my mom has just, you know, it tore her life apart. Back in the day, it was, she had this glamorous life with, you know, being involved in that lifestyle. She had maids and living nannies and beautiful cars and diamonds. And then one day the police came in and they tore her whole life out. They took her house her husband went to jail and they stuck her in Pennsylvania by herself with four kids. So when I told her I was coming on the show, I think it kind of just brought back all of these like past memories and all of this hard stuff that she's like overcome and gone through in her life. And I think she felt at first, like, why would you want to go back to where we came from? We're already past that. Like it's like taking two steps back. And I kind of just explained to her, you know, I'm I'm doing this as a as a career opportunity. I'm trying to further my name. I'm trying to get, you know, my name out there and I'm looking at this as a platform. Do I really, you know, it grew on her. <laughs> it grew on her. Yeah, but see, but see, I can see the entrepreneur in you and I'm sure modeling you learned specifically which models made the most money. You got to observe oh, specific yeah. things. I could see you take all this in and then You've been talking to people within a reality television, and I got to talk to many of them. So I'd love to have a reality show at one point in time. I don't know if your publicist told you I'm a former professional wrestler who uh, turned teacher then back to entrepreneur. Yeah, and I've been in the dark side of things. We're challenging hardcore lifestyle change back teacher and the mild-mannered teacher, but I'm six foot ten. And when I when I hear about things, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm six ten. So if I ever – you're in New York, right, Brittany? Are you in New York? Yes. That you, yes, yes. You know, yeah. I go back yeah, and yeah. forth between New York. Yes. Oh, yeah. But I keep the modeling. It's busy. But I'm going to be coming out to New York for the National Publicity Summit. And if you're in town, I'm going to be doing some interviews and conducting things at the Vanderbilt Mansion. So maybe we'll get to meet in person together. I'm trying to find Absolutely. out what the date is. Whenever. Yeah, but I was saying, what I was saying is that – I have talked to Mary Ann Amons from Real Housewives of D.C. to Real Housewives of Miami to all these different people telling me the story. But all of them that have had success, even uh, 
some of the uh, uh, married medicine, they told me, if you have a mindset that you're going to be the brand when you come on the show and leave the brand and not be the brand that the show name is, you're going to have the best yeah. success because you're trying Absolutely. to establish your brand for sure. Yeah, and I think you have to stay true to who you are and to yourself. Yes. You can't just, like, go with the flow and fall into whatever the, the show or, or, or they want you to be, you know. I'm I'm very – I'm a little bit stubborn. Like, this is who I am. I'm not going to change for anybody. And I think it's it's mindset. I, I believe in, you know, the law of attraction. Put it out there, work towards it, and it will come back to you. You know, it's if you're focused on something, you can make that happen. How have you been getting used to social media? Because as a model, I don't think you, they don't, they're not on Twitter unless they're a major supermodel, correct? So it's not, it's a different yeah, no. animal. Yeah. I didn't actually, I mean, I had a Twitter. I didn't really use it until I started doing the show. Now I'm using it more and I have fun with it. It's like some of the things people write in, it's just like I sit here and read them and I just laugh. You know, of course there's like, you you have to take the good with the bad. I knew that coming into this that I was going to get, you know, positive stuff coming my way and negative stuff coming my way. But, you know, again, anything, my whole like rule of thumb for social media is anything that comes through to my account, if it's positive, if it's happy, I'll respond, I'll talk with anyone, I'll, you know, answer back to all of the fans. You're going to get once the show airs. You know that. Yeah. All the negative stuff, though, like, I just, I pay no mind to it. I simply just scroll past it, that's and that's good. that. You know, it's, it's good, like, what I am I going to do, start fighting yeah. with people that don't even know me? Like, then I'm just as sick as they are. <laughs> I got friends from 90 Day Fiance. It was a show on, and basically their final reunion show, I was live tweeting with them because they're one of my clients for social media, and I'm tweeting back and forth with them, and they're attacking the heck out of uh his wife and I and she took it pretty oh, yeah. hard and and I and and so it really and for people listening out there, getting out into the public eye for the first time, being public, especially when millions of people are seeing you, it changes so much of your persona and perspective. But I think you're tough enough to handle this, Brittany. But utilize this. This has got to be a platform. I see also you have ideas and aspirations of doing more. You probably like to do more than just modeling and. And reality shows, oh, yeah. too. Would you like to act at one point as well? Oh, I definitely like to dip my feet in the water of acting, definitely, for sure. Yeah. I would love to so do that. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're getting it all out there. I wanted to jump back to this. So Temple University is a great university. So then you got into modeling. Uh, did you, so you yeah. did not finish up school at Temple, did you? Did you finish? No, I didn't finish up school at Temple. I did, uh, I did two, just shy of two years there. And then I got into the modeling and I kind of just started getting all these opportunities. And I was like, you know what, it's going to be here. And I'm only young once. So let me just, you know, experience and do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, school will always be there. I can always go back to school. It's something I'll probably do eventually. But, you know, modeling, it was what I was interested in and still interested in it. And, you know, I don't regret leaving school. It was, you know, I like modeling. I had so many amazing opportunities. I still do. And it was, you know. So you're still still modeling all the time then? Am I correct? Yeah, I still model. model? I still do runway. Yeah, absolutely. I just did, uh, you'll see on the show, um, some of the shows I did in New York Fashion Week, you'll see on Mob Wives. Awesome. And so I guess there's a lot of uh, exciting things coming your way, and you got to just keep up and just network your way. It seems like you definitely networked your way into these opportunities, and I'm sure that the other people are definitely jealous of you on the show, and that's what's <laughs> going to make it really, really exciting. So, again, the uh, season debuts on January 13th, and uh, yep. on VH1, Mob Live, best place we can find information on Brittany. Where can we go? Um, you can go to my Instagram. It's at Britt Fogarty, or my Twitter, which is the same thing, at Britt Fogarty. And then next week, by time for the premiere, I'll have my website up, BrittFogarty.com. Okay, gee, I know you're going to be ready to utilize your business, and that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And keep being that entrepreneur. I'm rooting for you. And I know, Thank and, and, you. and my wife will be, and I will be tuning into VH1's Mob Lives just to watch you. And that's it. So Definitely. that's all. I can't live tweet it because you know I'll be watching it off the bed. We watch all our favorite oh, shows and all the different tweet. things. Yeah. I'll oh, be that's live smart. tweeting for sure. I bet you, I bet you'll you'll quadruple in followers every week, and then you'll be like, 
Who's Neil Haley? I'm not going to meet him in New York. <laughs> No, I'm so not like that. I'm not like that at all. I'm going to remember you, and I'm going to be like, how was your 43rd birthday? Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Well, good talking to you. Best of luck, and thanks for calling. Thanks. Bye. All right. All right. That's Total Celebrity Show. Take care, guys. He is one of my favorite pit basketball (laughs) players of all time because I grew up watching him when I had season tickets to the field house. So go ahead. Yeah. I'm excited to uh, welcome to our show today a, a legend both out of Buffalo, New York, and a legend here in Pittsburgh. Um, he had an astounding career. I've been in high school in New York, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing about his days here in Pittsburgh as a University of Pittsburgh star, Curtis Aiken, and welcome to our show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Happy, happy to be a part of it. Good, good, good. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, Please know that we have a lot of listeners uh, with us, and uh, we're really looking forward to hearing your story. You know, um, athletes, uh, we grow up, we, we choose our sport. Uh, it becomes a part of our entire life. And, uh, you know, as I've had a chance to meet you and get to know you, I know you've done some great things on the court, but you're really doing wonderful things off the court. But we want to, we want to take you back a little bit and start your journey um, you know, talking about where you're from and how the bouncing ball has uh, made you had you make your way here to Pittsburgh. Can you share some with us? Well, well uh, originally, as you uh, earlier, I'm from Buffalo, New York, and um, I, I got here by way of a uh, athletic scholarship. But ironically uh, enough, I was headed to the University of Kansas. I had made a verbal commitment to uh, become oh, wow. a Kansas Jayhawk. And a um, guy by the name of JoJo White, who's a former NBA great, uh, was an assistant coach there. He was, played for the Boston Celtics and played uh, in the NBA for a number of years, was an NBA All-Star. He recruited me uh, to Kansas. And uh, I decided to go to Kansas because, like every young uh, kid that plays a sport, they want to be a professional in that sport. And uh, I decided to go to Kansas because I thought – and felt that if anyone that can teach me to be a professional basketball player, it could be, it would, could and would be JoJo White, one that played the mm-hmm. position that I played in high school. And um, I had a press conference. I announced that I was going to Kansas. Oh I was excited about it. Uh, the head coach was a guy by the name of Ted Owens. Ted Owens um, uh, uh, obviously was uh, was the head coach, and JoJo White was the assistant. But I was really going because of the relationship that I built with JoJo White. About three weeks before I was just signed the National Letter of Intent, they fired the head coach. Oh, my. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, I'm this young young 17-year-old kid excited about going to, to Kansas, and uh, now I have to, you know, reconsider it because JoJo White told me that uh, it looks like they were going to hire Larry Brown, who's a legendary mm-hmm. coach that we all know. Um, yeah. and, but he said that he didn't have a good relationship with Larry Brown and that he mm. wasn't going to be there. So uh, I decided that uh, I would open myself back up to be recruiting, to be recruited, and you know, which was a, uh, a, a, a very rigorous process, but I had to go through it again because I didn't feel comfortable going there without JoJo White being there. And that's how I wound up in Pittsburgh. Came to Pittsburgh, came through the Fort Pitt Tunnels, and uh, at the coaching staff and fell in love with the city. <laughs> good, good. Well, the city has fallen in love with you, Curtis Aiken, and, you know, your journeys on the hardwood at Pitt is well documented. Um, you know, you were a scorer. You were a scorer back in high school, uh, 55 points in one game in high school. That's a lot of shooting to put up 1,200 <laughs> points and rank 21st on Pitt's all-time uh, scoring list. That's a lot of scoring, Curtis Aiken. Uh, from a point position, too. So what is it all about the scoring that uh, – is that how you grew up? That's what you thought about as a player? You know, you were a great playmaker also to be able to, you know, lead your team and point puts point, put points up on the board is pretty tremendous feat. Well, you know, the, the, the way the whole concept and mindset of becoming a scorer came about, when you think about um, – basketball, you know, New York was a mecca of basketball. New York City was right. a mecca of basketball back then. That's that's changed 
you know, they, the better players right now are coming out of the South, the Atlanta, Georgia area, uh, mm-hmm. even even Texas. Um, if you look at the AAU programs, they have the better programs and the better players. But back right. when I came out, New York City was the mecca for, for, for high yeah, school basketball. Yes. And I was from upstate New York, Buffalo, New York, which wasn't as known uh for having the, the talent. So New York City got all the pubs. So the, my mentor would tell me, the only way that I'm going to get recognized is I have to do something extraordinary. I have to do something that right. most people don't do on a night-in and night-out basis. And my, and, and my thing was I had to get their attention. So I had to do something. I had to put up numbers that, you know, Pearl Washington and Kenny Smith and Mark Jackson and right. all those guys that I played against in high school, I had to put up the numbers that they weren't putting up. Because if I got 25 and they got 25 on a particular night, all you would hear about is Kenny Smith at 25. Right, you would right. Hear so, so I trained my body and my mind and condition to become a scorer. And my right. ultimate goal was to lead the nation in scoring. And by my senior year, of course, I averaged 41 points a game and led the nation in scoring. But right. it was because I put up the numbers – that Karen just spoke about 65 in one game and 59 and average 41 throughout my high, uh, throughout my senior year. That's what got me the attention. Otherwise, I would have just been another player. Yeah, Neil, he's played in your favorite that, conference, that, Neil, that, the Big East. That, so I know you got questions so exactly for Curtis on that. Curtis, was that another reason because of Pick going to the Big East that this was a decision, one of part of the decision process for you to to choose Pitt Absolutely. the Big East? Absolutely. Um, you know, again, you know, I was going to Kansas because I had a special, special relationship with JoJo White. But I, I knew that that wasn't the best conference in the country that I was going to. I knew the Big East was. And the Big East was the best conference because they had the best coaches. You know, they had flamboyant coaches like, you know, right. Rick Pitino and, and uh, Raleigh Massimino and, and uh, uh, of course, John ba- uh, Jim, Jim Beheim and, and yeah. uh, uh, John Thompson, it, it, it goes on. <laughs> yeah, PJ PJ Calissimo. I mean, it goes awesome. on. I mean, have yeah. very great coaches, flamboyant coaches that that uh, you know guys wanted to play for. Louis Conestoga. I didn't mention him. The the one of you guys, but um, and they had and they they had the best talent. When you think about the talent in the eighties. You know, guys like Chris Mullen. Uh, Mark Jackson. I mean, every team right. had three or four great players, not good players, great players on their team, whether it's Patrick Ewing or whoever. Uh, and and we didn't we didn't lack talent either. I mean, we had Charles Smith, Jerome Lane. We had Absolutely. great players on our team. Right. Um, so so I knew that the Big East was the best conference. So when uh, things didn't work out as far as going to Kansas, there was no other place I was going. I was considering Villanova and Georgetown and Pitt and decided on Pitt, and, and that's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And well, so your senior year, 87-88, you, right. you guys won 27-8 overall. Talk to us about that special season. <laughs> it, it was special because when I first came to Pittsburgh, I was the first All-American to ever sign at Pitt, high school All-American. And oh, after wow. me, I was able to help recruit Charles Smith and Demetrius Gordon, the list goes wow. on. But oh wow! Yeah, we 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 all had the mindset that we're the best where we come from. You know, we're the star of the team. The ball should be in our hand at the end of the game. We all had that mindset. And the the, the special part about the '87 season was it took us three years to realize that we'll never get a ring trying to do it alone. That we had to come together and we had to play together. And by my senior year, I was a part of the first Big East championship team to ever play, you know, to ever come to Pittsburgh. So it was special. My career was special because we built something. And, uh, you know, when I first got to Pittsburgh, it was the second or third year in the Big East. We were on the bottom of the Big East. And when I left, we were on the top. And not just because of me. It was because of the team. Everybody contributed. When you think about Coach Paul Evans, again, this uh, he was a huge. I was a huge fan of Paul Evans because of the, the simple fact: the Naval Academy. Before he came to the University of Pittsburgh, he was at the Naval Academy with David Robinson. They made their run to the Elite Eight and lost to Duke. And I remember that firsthand of the experience of seeing Navy, and then we get Paul Evans. 
the, the, the mentality completely changes at the University of Pittsburgh. You were starting to get that winning attitude, but you guys were the ones that changed Pitt basketball in so many ways. And Coach Evans was the led the way in bringing the right players when you recruited. No, no question, because the one thing that we lacked, we didn't lack talent, we lacked discipline. And mm-hmm. Paul Evans came with the military mentality and, and discipline, and uh, he brought us together. So it, it was a perfect, perfect mix of coach, coaching and, and players. So how special was it uh, getting that Big East championship ring, Curtis? How special was that to you guys? Oh, it was very, very special. Um I can remember the, the, the night they gave him out, you know. Uh, some of the toughest guys on our team was, was weeping a little bit. So yeah. I certainly got a laugh out of that. I was I was able to hold mine because I realized uh, <laughs> that they wouldn't let me forget it if I let it go. So <laughs> it was special. <laughs> Good. Good. It, it's, and that's, that's interesting what you said about the Big East. And starting at the beginning, what, uh, every night, Curtis, when you first were a freshman and you looked on the other side of the court and the players you played against, how did you guys, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough going to a new conference, going from the Eastern Eight, where you guys were the big fish, to now a, a new power with different players and looking at every night it was a tough game at first. And, and to sell pit fans that you guys could compete in the Big East. That that's a process in itself to get together and, and, and change that mentality in the city and also with the team, right? Especially you got Patrick Ewing showing up one week number one in the country. Then you have Syracuse. Then then you have uh, Villanova. I mean, it's, the list goes on and on. Well, it was funny because you know originally, uh, you know, during the Big East, all the fans came out to see the teams that we were playing. They didn't come out to see us. Right. And what happened was they realized <laughs> they realized that you know we were putting together something special, and they embraced it. But we, but we got it. We understood that you know we we were trying to build something, and and that it was gonna, it was going to take time, and we had to convince you know the city that you know we were willing to put the work in and uh, you know build a program. And uh, hey, Karen, uh, that's the, the rest of history in terms of. I'm sorry. Say again. Continue, continue, Curtis. No, I was just going to say the rest is history in terms of the support base and fans that uh, that that the University of Pittsburgh has now. Okay, so you guys, uh, you know, you, you brought Ted, you know, into some national notoriety, and then you have guys like uh, Darrell Porter coming through, Jason Matthews coming through, Brian Shorter. So, you know, your responsibility as a, you know, Pitt alum to grab to these guys because, you know, you you guys have uh, put Pitt where you needed it, you know, prior to leaving and these guys are coming in. So how do you keep that mindset going, you know, with the newcomers? Well, we, we, we all felt obligated to, to be a part of uh, their development. You know, I, I can distinctly remember guys like Jason Matthews and Darrell Porter telling me, hey, I, I'm, I'm coming to Pittsburgh because of you. You know, we, I used to mm-hmm. watch you. I used to idolize you and like what you did and how you carried yourself and how well you played. And, you know, uh, it, it, I want to get a chance, opportunity to play on a big stage, too. So that's why I came to Pittsburgh. So when you wow. hear a young kid say something like that, you have to, you, you have to get back. You have to make sure that they're successful. You have to, get, you have to give them some what I call golden nuggets to help them, uh, you know, become better players and, and better people. Yeah, that's awesome. And we know you're still connected with Pitt, you know, on a, you know, day-to-day and game day basis. So, you know, the time has moved on and you're seeing players change in the program. So you have a different role now when you're up there watching games. So how do you balance, like, watching the game, staying neutral and talking about the game all at the same time? Well, first of all, it's just amazing how connected I am to Pittsburgh. You know, obviously, I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh. I I was married on the campus at the University of Pittsburgh. My kids were born on uh, on the campus, practically at McGee Hospital. (laughs) Right. I've never I've never left. Uh, You know, I felt like I've been a part of the athletic program since uh, I graduated. And of course, you know, becoming a commentator and and being involved Mm -hmm. and around the program as I am. Um, it, it's just it's interesting because so many different emotions that you can have on a day-to-day basis because, you know, I, I, to your point, Karen, you know, I'm a commentator and I have yes. a, a, a duty to call a game as I see it. 
but I know yes. these kids personally. Yes. I know oh, wow. coaches personally. And uh, it's just, as, as you sit there, uh, it's just so many different things when you see a kid do something wrong and you see the kid hurt. Uh, uh, you know, and I, don't, I don't mean physically hurt, but just disappointed. Yes. Uh, it, right. As a commentator that doesn't know that kid, he, you know his mindset is is one way. But somebody like myself who knew, maybe knew that kid from the time he came to Pittsburgh, it's a whole mm-hmm. different mindset. Right. So right. you know you, you have to articulate your thoughts and what you see, but at the same time, uh, it, it's so many different thoughts that may go through your head. Being a commentator, so Curtis. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.